Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. And here we are for yet another Kenobi discussion show. So we are talking about part five of the Kenobi series, and this is the fourth episode we have done of this great discussion show on the feed of Comics in Motion, and it is going to be on my YouTube channel as well. And this time I'm joined by another two wonderful individuals who joined us for the Book of Boba Fett discussion, and one of them basically is the reason that I do Star Wars comics and canon. So uh, I introduced you guys both Ben of Star Wars Timeline and also Dave Horrocks of Comics in Motion and VHS Strikes Back and a whole other list of other podcasts he's involved with. So um, let's get things moving straight away. So uh, Dave, hello, or hello there. How are you doing? And also, what have you thought of Kenobi for episodes one, two, three, and four? So before the one that just came out today. Didn't we discuss episode two? Yeah, but I've been on before, but okay. You have, but obviously episode three and the whole kind of thing together. Because you'll be able I'm to just old. repeat, whereas Ben is going to give us a bigger answer because we haven't heard from him yet. Got it, so. got it. Yeah, it was actually episode three, wasn't it? it that was the the episode I remember now. Yeah. Um, too many podcasts. No, no, so brilliant. So so appreciate you bringing me on again, Mike. And uh, it was great to to be on with Ben and finally meet Ben as well because I've heard him on, on your channel and everything. Um, I, you know... I, I just love this series. I, I love the the characters. I love being in, immersed in this world. I kind of am aware of some of the noise and some of the nonsense, but basically I, I'm not interested in it. Just fuck you. If you like it, enjoy it with me. If you don't, fuck off and watch something else. Don't, don't <laughs> bitching about all this, this, that, and the other. So, no, I've been really enjoying it. I do think... You know, it's almost been a little bit of a, a bell curve, hasn't it? I, I can't, I can't help but compare everything now to episode three because the joy that I felt in that episode is just I, I can't. The only thing that's well probably surpassed it was the uh, finale for mandalorian season two you know just in terms of just being a kid again and just thinking oh wow so um yeah i I think it's it's tailed off a bit it's not quite gone the way i thought it would but that's fine i I didn't particularly uh, bring loads of baggage with it but um i'm intrigued now especially the way the episode has finished off again when it was on last time i just said i need this to make sense with what we saw in Rogue One, with what we saw in A New Hope, I need it to make sense. I don't want to be thinking, well, hang about, that That doesn't make that bit of dialogue between Ben Kenobi and, and Darth Vader, you know, if they've had all this history. And I, I, I'm sure it will. You know, they've got enough talented writers on this enough people who are challenging okay you know and know the canon a lot more than i do so i'm sort of confident but there's a little tiny little voice in my head saying no that conversation is not going to make sense if they're going to show me something in the finale but uh no fingers crossed that doesn't happen yeah very, very uh, interesting perspective there. And so, Ben, I know that you are slightly more critical of the Kenobi show, uh, but you know you still enjoy. It. I like your perspective on Star Wars, even though you, uh, even when you are critical of things, like I have been, not as much, but you still don't disparage anyone who enjoys it. So, Ben, please tell us what you've thought so far of the Kenobi series. 
first, Mike, it's a pleasure to be on the channel again and just speak to you about Star Wars. I love the exchanges of ideas that you and I have. And Dave, it's a pleasure to meet you as well. I can't wait to hear your thoughts, guys. I enjoy the fact that you are enjoying this, but I have a, quite a different take on this. And I suspect Dave and I will have a very stimulating conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, um, as you know, Mike and Dave, uh, since you're chiming in, you know, I'll touch upon this a little bit. I had a very bittersweet relationship with Star Wars prequels when they, they came out in 1999. And my biggest problem with that was just the presentation, how the story was delivered. Not as much as the content itself, even though it felt quite incongruous with the original trilogy and the lore and the canonical ideas that George Lucas established there. For a lot of fans, my generation, obviously not everyone, but a certain bit of uh, uh, fans felt like George Lucas was quite a different person, a different man with a different set of ideas who wanted to return to his sandbox and play around more with it. Now we skip forward to Disney era Star Wars and where I was overwhelmingly positive of all the Star Wars animation, even Resistance, which I feel it's one that doesn't sit well with necessarily Star Wars universe, but still a highly produced show with, with a good story and a good, a good narrative. Where the live action aspect of it has felt very, very offbeat to me. It feels like it's um, very passionate and dedicated set of filmmakers playing around in George Lucas's toy box, but not a lot of them grasp it and none of them have the necessary level of skill to make Star Wars feel not competent, but special again. And now we come to the Kenobi show where I had a very reserved expectation of it. I said, well, you know, it, it, this was my reaction to Mandalorian, the book of Boba Fett, you know, the, all of these uh, shows that are not necessarily poor. I can't call them bad, but they're not good either. Just as mediocrity to me. And I said, okay, let's let's see what this Kenobi show does. And as a Star Wars original trilogy fan, I never quite considered myself a purist. I didn't need this particular show to tie in perfectly, seamlessly with the original trilogy. If there are some story uh, you know, issues going on there, some inconsistencies, I don't mind it. My only priority was to see a show that is within its own scope, is consistent, strong, good storytelling and filmmaking first and good Star Wars second, if that makes any sense. And what I'm finding here is Deborah's child uh, directing being very much in line with what I saw in Mandalorian. It's, it's, I feel that a lot of it is on the surface. It's visual. It, it grabs you with familiar canonical imagery that it's instantly accessible and guys, not to demean prequel fans in any way, Mike, you know how much I respect you. I enjoy and love inviting prequel fans to the show. And I don't mean to say it in a derogatory way as well. But the moment that I started watching Kenobi's show, from the early moments, it felt like prequels. It felt like it's going to be something that prequel fans will easily embrace and enjoy. And it's... I don't know if it's a good or bad thing because it, it sometimes you react to things that are not necessarily strong filmmaking, like Akira Kurosawa level filmmaking, but just gives you joy and fun to return to that world, like David said, and have fun and explore these characters and just have a good time and not take it all too seriously at the heart and be jaded on Twitter and social media all over the place. Oh my God, they're really, you know, Star Wars again. So it, it pretty much, the previous four episodes fell into the line of being predictable. On the surface, not very deep uh, 
kind of like one-off entertainment with episode four being the weakest one. Right. I see what you're saying. Uh, I mean, I, I obviously, I do enjoy Kenobi. I understand your criticisms and I don't necessarily disagree. I do feel like it feels, mm. for me though, it feels in between prequels and original trilogy more so episode four because that is the somewhat the roughest. There's elements of that that don't fit into the other ones quite as well. It's got that kind of, that's kind of, I think Kenobi fits well into that. And I think for me, Kenobi works well with the visuals, obviously. And I had a note in this episode specifically, the music is incredible for the whole thing. Uh, I know the score is done by um, John Williams, the main theme rather, and the rest of the music is done by Natalie Holt, who did Loki and a few other things. And she's great. But I found that for me, on episode three, after that, I was like, this is going, Can I, as Dave was saying before, this is going exactly how I want it to go. This is dark. This is brutal. It's been a build. I got the Kenobi stuff to begin with, which is quite emotional. Uh, and it connects well with the prequels and has its own thing going. But then episode four, I was like, okay, it's kind of plodding along. It's, it doesn't feel like this. There will come some cool moments. But once again, it, there were just kind of bits that are a bit like, okay, but I'm still enjoying it. Still having a good time. And then this episode as well, I did really enjoy again, but I, I'm understanding where you're coming from. I think that I'm just a lot more forgiving. So although I agree with m- many elements of what you said, not every part, obviously I enjoy right. The Mandalorian a lot more than you did. And I think The Mandalorian did an incredible job at so many things. I just think that mm. there are elements that could have been improved on in certain ways, but the Book of Boba Fett I think is an amplification of what was wrong with The Mandalorian. Boba Fett is kind of the poster child for those issues in some ways. But I, I really enjoyed Kenobi. I think... It is really good, but it is kind of doing, as what Dave said as well, it is going up and coming down again. And it's like, as Star Wars fans, and I think I think Tony maybe said this and someone else said it as well, it's just, we just want it to be really, really amazing, like the whole way through. We want it to be like the Batman or special again. Joker. or Yeah, exactly, as you say, Ben. We want it to be that, where it goes, it's just, we don't have to kind of make excuses for why it's good. You know, you watch certain amazing movies and you don't go, oh yeah, this was phenomenal. Oh, but this thing didn't work and this thing didn't work. You don't generally do that as much. But with the prequels and the sequels and all new Star Wars content, I'm finding myself being a Star Wars apologist so much because there are so many little things that come up and it's just like, you know what fans are like, you know about this, you know about that. Why did you add the coat scene in? Did someone not think of that? That's really going to... You know, so it's kind of a mixed bag. But let's get on to this episode specifically. And obviously, it will connect in with the other elements that we've said about. But uh, so episode five or part V, as it says. So this is the penultimate episode. So, you know, it's uh, there's one element of it that I loved. And I did enjoy this episode more than the previous episode, I'd say. But I still think it wasn't as good as the third episode for me. But I loved the, the way it starts and you get the young Hayden Christensen and, well, well, yeah, Hayden Christensen just looking quite good for his age, you know, sort of thing. Probably with a little bit of aging or makeup and stuff. But him and Obi-Wan sparring. And you get that sprinkle throughout the episode. I think that really helps work things narratively. So if we go to you again, Dave, uh, to start with, what were your initial thoughts of this episode? Anything you want to add to what me and Ben have just said? And just what kind of go from there? Yeah, some of the things that Ben was saying there is really interesting. And and I'm, I'm an original trilogy uh, guy as well. I, I, I think I, I warmed to the prequels more, probably, honestly, mostly in, in discussing with Mike. And I think the, the content and the storytelling is actually quite strong. The themes of it are really quite strong. And in the last few years, been a whole lot more relevant than they were when I watched them. Um, but it, yeah, the aesthetic was just, uh, it, it looked too glossy for me. So so that's where I center myself. 
the first thing I thought, Mike, when I saw uh, them dueling and we're back on Coruscant was to think of you, quite honestly. (laughs) I thought you will be a pig in shit watching this. You're a prequels child, you know, you, you loved it. And I thought Mike must be your mind must be blown. So for me, again, I, I kind of, I can appreciate the prequels, but it's not my love. It's not my trilogy. And um, It's funny because I think some of this looks great, but the de-aging technology now is so good when movies have the budget. You know, you see the likes of Michael Douglas and he looks great. He looks like he's back in Romancing the Stone or something. And, and it's seamless. And you're like, holy shit, this is, you know, even the reface app that you do. Some of those look unbelievable. And I just thought it was weird that they they just didn't even try with Hayden Christensen. You know, they did it with uh, Mark Hamill as well, didn't they? Mandalorian. Yeah. So I, I just found it weird. He looks great for his age, but it sort of took me out of it a little bit. It's like, you haven't even tried to de-age him. <laughs> or maybe, <laughs> maybe just give him a little bit of blusher or something, but, but that's it. But no, I thought it was good, and I thought the way it knit into the story was great because, you know, it's constantly going back to this lesson that Obi-Wan's trying to teach Anakin about being impatient, being impulsive, and, you know, not having to win through direct brute force. And you see that plays out, and and you know, Obi-Wan's still trying to, or not trying to teach him the lesson. He's still coming from the same place, but Anakin hasn't grown. He, he's still doing exactly the same things as, as when he was that younger Padawan. Mm. Yeah. Very good perspectives there and in, intriguing. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you just said, Ben, what about you? What do you think of sort of the episode in general and also some of the things ben, uh, Dave said and about the sort of Kenobi Anakin connection with their sparring? A little frustrating. Um, the whole episode, just just one even pulse line throughout the whole episode. Um, I was grasping to find things that I like, and this is where a place you don't want to be when <clears throat> you're selective about things that you like. Once again, I'm thrown into my 1999 experience, where for quite a few years, enjoying episode two a little bit better than episode one, and enjoying episode three the most of them. Well, I was still in denial, trying to convince myself that these are good movies that just I don't understand. And I Me need to too. level up <laughs> in rank to try to myself, tell myself that it's good filmmaking. And, you know, arguing with all of these bitter film school fans. But, oh, it's crap. It's this and that. But anyway, yeah, in this particular episode, once again, I'm returning to this mantra that I'm going to repeat. It felt like prequel stuff. The moment that we see Obi-Wan and Kenobi, I understand what the episode is doing intellectually. I understand where... Deborah Chow's headspace is, is where they're trying to do with this episode. I understand the passion into acting that uh, Ewan McGregor does and uh, Hayden Christensen. I'm so happy that both of them returned, you know, to reprise their roles. But aside from the fact of trying to connect the dots, like intellectually, what the movie is supposed to do is lie to you or show for 40 minutes or two hours and lie to you so good that you don't think about it. You live with these characters for 50 minutes. And I can't honestly bring myself to say that I lived with these characters because every moment that felt right, there was a follow-up moment next to it that felt off. And it's like a warped vinyl record. It's just like, and you don't hear the music. It's all over the place. The fight itself begins and immediately understand what, what they're doing. And if you watch a lot of cinema outside of Hollywood, outside of like popular AAA cinema, and you kind of like understand the tropes, you, visually you pick up on the language like, ah, okay, parallel storytelling. You're going to have this episode versus 
the past versus the real time, the, the fight of the minds, right? Not quite what we speculated or imagined it to be. I, I thought the idea itself was good, that Vader tries to outwit, outsmart Kenobi, and he employs his little henchman and plays her as a trump card as well. Kenobi, on his end, also tries to play into it. Uh, that was interesting in, in kind of like thinking around, like, oh, okay, this is what they went for. As far as the, as the execution goes, this episode, just like the rest of the show, feels like a really expensive fan film from, from folks who are parading these Star Wars puppets, so to speak, but they don't understand the heart and soul of it. It's just my take. You know, nobody needs to agree with me. And like Dave said, I'm kind of, when I criticize something, look, you look at a piece of work like Star Wars, you criticize it, and then you move the fuck on. Don't dwell <laughs> on it. Don't cry. Don't argue opinions. Don't argue something that stays in a person's heart. Because if you're a kid who grew up with these films and they mean the world to you, and all you need to see is Vader flipping a, a starship and it's enough for you, who am I to tell you otherwise? Who am I to tell you to give you a PowerPoint presentation of filmmaking? It doesn't matter. In the greater scheme of things, all art is about communicating an idea and how the receiver, how the audience feels about that idea. If the feeling is good, yes, there is established, you know, canonical filmmaking theories and things that work and don't work. And you could arguably dispassionately look at a piece of work and say, well, this works. This person understands the film school. This person doesn't. You sort of, I, I trained my mind to kind of toss that out, out of the window because critically, no Star Wars live action show holds under that kind of stress, under that criticism. It falls apart. It's juvenile compared to Star Wars original trilogy. But then you say, well, hold on a second. How about in comparison to everything else? Well, what other trilogy is like original Star Wars trilogy? There's none. So you're, there's this conundrum. There is this battle inside that goes, what do I do? Am I being too critical? Or is it time for me to goodbye, you know, part ways with uh, Kenobi and Star Wars and not watch it anymore? No, I'm still there. I'm on board. Feed me. Give me. <laughs> Tell me the story of what is happening here. Maybe I'll enjoy it. Maybe I'll not. And with this episode... Again, I was grasping at straws. I'm like, Ben, please find something that you'll enjoy. And I, I barely could find anything. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think about that, Dave? It is interesting. I, I'm trying to think now. So I, I enjoyed the episode clearly more than Ben. Um, and part of it is because of the fan service. So you mentioned mm. about Vader, you know, right. uh, you see just how powerful he is when he's he's holding that ship back, you know, mm. and, and we've seen it in some of the comics, like that Charles Saul run where you just see his power going up and up and up. And uh, so I, I said it on about episode three, you know, I never thought we'd get James Earl Jones playing Darth Vader uh, or voicing Darth Vader again. And so to just get that just fills me with this, kiddish joy uh you know and so there the doesn't have to be anything sophisticated and i think you know for me at least it's called that original trilogy is tremendously simple it's basically the good guys versus the bad yeah. guys and i love it and part of the reason I, I i i went on the same journey as you by the way with the prequels i i came out of phantom menace uh 99 and i was like yeah yeah, I think I liked it. And then I was trying to convince myself for ages. Yeah. And did that with the whole trilogy. But um, yeah, uh, but with what you said, it does make me think because 
So this last weekend, went to see uh, Top Gun Maverick. I won't spoil mm-hmm. anything, but I tell you what, it it is an emotional roller coaster. And mm-hmm. if you've got any of the nostalgia, you know, it, it ticks off the nostalgia. It makes you emotional. It makes you smile. It makes you laugh. It makes you feel like, you know, you're wiping the, the tears out of your eyes, you know, and, <laughs> and everything. It, it did all of that. Whereas... This series hasn't, well, apart from episode three, again, you know, just that, and that's just for the simple James Earl Jones and Vader being a badass, it hasn't really done that. And I I would say even Mandalorian, the finale for season two as well, you know, the emotion that just poured out of me uh, with that final scene, which, you know, we all know what I'm talking about, but I won't spoil it. Um, So, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like it's not hit those heights yet. And I guess with a penultimate episode, you typically would expect to see some stronger emotional beats there. I, th- I think with what's interesting is, although I, when I watched this show, I was most emotional almost in the first episode uh, and then the third. It was first of all, it was the first because I was like, you know, Kenobi's like one of my favorite characters in cinema history. Never thought I'd see Ewan McGregor live action. Uh, again, obviously Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Although I think most people in their heads, when you think Obi-Wan now, before the show even aired, I think most people, even if they weren't that much of a fan of the prequels, Ewan McGregor is what people would often see. But even though, you know, the original one is obviously Alec Guinness. But for me, seeing him live action initially, I was like, oh my God, and he's like down in his luck. It's very emotional. And then you get the few middle episodes that aren't as much. And three, I thought really hit for me. I thought the, the bit with Vader and Kenobi, I think is one of the best things in Star Wars since we're in the new whole canon. It's one of those moments where I just think it's so brilliant and so well done. It, I love that part. We haven't, although I love that bit, I think that when you compare, I think the issue that three of us have um, are that we've seen Clone Wars and Rebels. Now I will not spoil Rebels because I encourage anyone who's ever seen anything to watch it I think that Rebels is still infinitely better than Kenobi by so far. It's it's a it's head it's like head and shoulders above, which I think is obviously how Ben views yeah. the original trilogy above uh, the rest of Star Wars, which I totally understand. I know you also love Clone Wars and Rebels and Bad Batch, but like for me, it's like you know, original trilogy is probably objectively the best movies and are better made than the prequels. But for me, I enjoy watching the prequels a bit more because of the certain moments which for me hit the heights that uh, prequel that the originals do have, but emotionally don't hit for me in the same way the animated shows are different because in clone wars especially and in clone wars to some extent but then especially in rebels for me so much emotion there's one episode of rebels all i'll say is the name jedi knight i won't say anything else that happens in it it is the most emotional i've ever been watching star wars ever on top of everything so it's weird that the animated shows seem to be able to write more in-depth stories that kind of link what ben said surface level like mandalorian when series one came out i've said it many times i really enjoyed it series one's great but it's not when people go oh my god is it the best star wars ever i was like no not even close it's it's not it's like of all mm-hmm. the star wars content i've consumed watched read comics and stuff and shows i'd say mandalorian is like the middle series two is a bit higher i think series two is maybe in the top third maybe i guess it's, it's i'd say it's in the top half but whereabouts i'm not really sure compared to the heights of clone wars the heights of even bad batch the heights of rebels like there are moments and the prequels where there's moments in these things which are above and so i think that although kenobi i am really enjoying it i wanted this to be and i said it with you ben in our sort of uh, pre-discussion show i wanted kenobi to be the kind of show that's so so good i just want to rewatch it 
And although I've yeah. enjoyed all the Marvel shows and I've enjoyed all of the uh, Star Wars shows, there haven't really been any that I'm like, I need to watch all of this again. There's a couple mm-hmm. of episodes, like in Mandalorian, there's uh, the episode with a uh, minor, minor spoiler, but Ahsoka being in it. Uh, that episode for me is one of the heights. I think the finale of Mandalorian Series 2, I know that you are critical of it, Ben, which is fair, but I still, I'm with Dave. It, for me, it really, really hits. But as a show, I think there's probably only four episodes of Mandalorian that I'm like, yeah, top tier. The Bo-Katan one's pretty cool as well, which minor spoiler, but regardless, those sort of elements for me they're amazing and they're great but the series as a whole isn't whereas with rebels i go yeah series one's pretty good but it's still probably as good if not better than a lot of the episodes that we've been seeing of the sort of weaker episodes of any of these live action shows for star wars but you get to series two i think the finale of series two of rebels once again i won't see what happens but i think that finale the episode's called twilight of the apprentice that's better than anything i've seen in live action maybe even it might be close to the well, if I mentioned Ahsoka part and the finale of Mandalorian Series 2, I think they're close-ish, but I still think that finale outshines everything we've had in live action. I think us as Star Wars fans, when you read some of the old Legend stuff and some of the, you know, Charles Saul comics, and there's certain bits of the canon Legend stories that are so good, and the animated shows hit that as well. So we're all, mm. a, it's a little bit of that, I wish the live action was hitting the heights of the, the animated, if you know what I mean. I think it's a it's a much longer form of storytelling though, yes. isn't it? I mean, I, I when you were telling me about Clone Wars because I'd watched the movie and I was like, "You're <laughs> fucking kidding good. me! I'm not watching that series. <laughs> <laughs> no, going anywhere near that." Um, but when I got into it, and you were saying about the the later series, you know, watch those; those are the best ones. But I found myself really enjoying like three and four seasons three and four and and when it was focusing on the the clones really and what they were going through and you know their discovery of themselves despite the fact they're all clones and i was so impressed with all these different personalities and how they're being manipulated themselves um but because they've got a whole season you know each episode is obviously its own story but then you've got this whole arc going across the whole season I, I just think I'm not saying it's easier, but I think it's you've just got longer mm. to to play with those themes. Now I've mentioned a, a couple of times for different pods recently, but I think one of the issues with sequels is that they seem to take what's in the original movie and then they almost do a, a some market research. You know, they get a bunch of people. And ask them, you know, what are your top five bullet points that you liked about this movie? And I used uh, recently like Lethal Weapon as an example. So what what do you like about that? Oh, well, Riggs, you know, he's a great character, very funny and everything. And they take those five bullet points and then they put it into the sequel. And the sequel becomes this dumbed down version. There's no nuance. All the, the nuance is omitted because it's not in your top five bullet points. And I almost feel like that's what we've got here. We've got in the live action a, a bit more of a dumbing down because you want to appeal to the masses. The masses are not going to watch animated Star Wars content, no matter how good it is. Whereas the live action, I think, you know, a lot more people would watch it. So I, yeah. I, I think it is a deliberate dumbing down of, of what's yeah. in the, the animated shows. Dave, uh, I wanted to actually touch upon a couple of things that you mentioned as a very, very interesting point of uh, the dumbing bun. 
uh, and you know the sequel trilogy, a lot of fans are describing as a committee films instead of having that spirit of innovation and daring yeah. and thinking into a bold new direction. So a couple of points I wanted to mention, all tying into what you said. Uh, the first thing I wanted to say that in in relationship to the Kenobi show is that as an older fan, and as you know, somebody who grew up, you know, and I've studied film in the film school, I have a BA degree in animation and moved past that point. Be just as a fan of good storytelling first and Star Wars second. It was always there along with other things that we enjoyed as kids, you know, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, all of all of that great stuff, Robocop. I don't ever want my Star Wars to play in my nostalgic feelings. And this is why I disliked Luke, the specific mention of Luke that we're talking about, right? Spoilers free, because I felt it was just a sweet little nice candy given to fans because it's exactly played into those expectations. You're going to see young Luke, you're going to go berserk. And it feels to me so put on and so constructed that's not no great story feels constructed, They're always spontaneous. There's a certain feel and energy to it. And I think I would argue that the simple story that Star Wars is, I think is a very, very fair observation, especially the original trilogy. The simplest story is the hardest to tell because you need to understand the mechanics of the story so well that you grab a person's attention and you never let go until the very end. Those are very, very simple things. A hero attains the weapon of power and he has to defeat his father's shadow in order to become a fully realized man. And I feel that in current generation where the live action aspect of it feels too safe, too uh, audience oriented and too like playing into expectations, that animation feels a lot more bold and innovative and fresh and especially books. Star Wars thrives when it tries to go outside of the norm, outside of the expectation. And we, even we observed it in Star Wars Legends, where you would take a familiar character like Mace Windu and put him in an entirely new environment, like in his uh, novel called Shatterpoint. And it blows your mind because you have a familiar trope, familiar character, but an entirely new situation. And this is where you hunger for more. There comes all your nuance all the daring, all the boldness, and the novel survives or dies based on the strengths of itself. Now, uh, when it comes to Darth Vader in this particular episode, what I feel is happening here is when you take Vader, a canonical, he is Star Wars in a sense, right? And when you keep adding on to him, his powers, his abilities, his thoughts, his musing on things, you know, his PTSD, whatever, the more that you do it, the more you kind of grind down the mystique, the mystery of Vader that we knew from the original trilogy. As I spoke with Mike before, I felt that it was a huge, huge error on uh, George's uh, behalf to unmask him and give him give him a full-blown backstory because it suddenly he's no longer Vader that we knew and that fantasy that we completed ourselves is interrupted. And same is happening within new comic books. The reason that I don't enjoy them as much, they could be stellar writing in them, stellar content itself. But I feel like what they're doing is with uh, Charles Soule's runs, and you know, to be fair, I have to check out a lot of them before I even speak my mind. But I feel like a lot of them are grinding those particular gears into dust. They're playing too much in a, a territory that is too familiar and too known for us. And that is why you can't satisfy all the fans because everyone will bicker, everyone will put in their two cents. And like, but, but no, I imagined Vader this way. But David will say, no, 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 Ben, hold on a second. I had a completely different read on it. 
and we start going at it with one another. But when you take Star Wars and you realize it can go beyond the Skywalker saga, it could go beyond this, it's like poetry, it rhymes, utter fucking nonsense. I'm sorry, guys. And you take it into a completely fresh territory and say, well, you know what? I'm going to have Star Wars in the future with Luke Skywalker's descendant, who is a fucking drug addict. You want to deal with this? You want to work with just like the the uh, uh, Green Arrow comics in the seventies when they started addressing you know the the drug abuse and uh, uh, co- I think was it cocaine uh, epidemic? Our traveling heroes. It was right. I just literally read it in this last few months. Right. When you do something like this to Star Wars and you turn eyeballs and people say, oh, hold on a second. This kind of is not recognizable, but it's still recognizable because as all the pillars of what makes that story, but an entirely new setting, then we're onto something. Then we're not walking on eggshells as Deborah Chow has to do because she has to honor the legacy of Kenobi. You, you both raised very interesting points there. Uh, Dave, did you want to add anything to that? Sorry. No, I was just thinking because... I think the you can probably see here, you know, I, I love my comics as well, but, mm-hmm. you know, when a lot of the early stories were written, uh, you know, in, in um, uh, the Marvel or DC or whatever, or their predecessors, you know, quite often they, they wouldn't make sense. You know, they is to character like Wolverine, you know, he's so mysterious because people kept writing him differently. And, you know, he, he had this mystique, mystique about him and they only nailed down his origin when they knew a movie was coming out. They were like, right, we need to write one or else the movie will do it. And that'll be in the public consciousness that that will be his origin. So we're going to do it first. And so characters like Wolverine, the Joker, you don't actually want to know the origin. You want to maintain that mystique. Now, with Star Wars, what I find interesting is they are trying to stick to that canon. You know, they're, they're saying there is one canon, and that's it. And all this other stuff may or may not exist, but we are going to have one kind of thing that, that exists. Where, whereas if you look at, like, say, Marvel or, or DC, they have all these alternate universes so they just say right these are the recognizable characters and they've got the same kind of traits that you know before but they're in a different universe the the context that they exist in is different so they mm-hmm. tell a completely different story so it's just interesting that that the the traditional comics publishers take that approach Disney for Star Wars have, have gone down this different route to say, like, whether you're watching the uh, the original movies, whether you're watching the live action TV shows, you, you're um, looking at the post 2015 comics, the animated shows. This all exists in this one universe. There's no parallel universes. It should all make sense. And and I don't. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I think. Uh, I think one satisfies one group of people and the other mm-hmm. satisfies another group of people. I know mm-hmm. like Mike, you, you love the law the, the, and the fact that it is one canon and, and you're constantly doing mental gymnastics sometimes to make sure, okay, so that, that must lead on from that and, yes. and what have you. <laughs> so like I say, I just, I just think it's different, but really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things, a good way to compare it if for people, anyone listening who hasn't read many comics and is trying to figure out how to think about it. It's very simple, the different Spider-Man films. They didn't make a big hoo-ha about it. They were like, here's three Spider-Man films, Tim Maguire. And then it, on the third one, people didn't like it as much. Um, 
whether or not Sam Raimi would have made four or more, uh, you know, another trilogy, or whatever, probably would have done. But who knows if people would like the third one more? And then they were like, right, here's another one, Amazing Spider-Man, of course, like something slightly different. It's Andrew Garfield now, and everyone's like, oh, okay, that's fine. And then after the second one, kind of disappeared for a bit, and then Tom Holland came in. So you're like, oh, there's already, and obviously, there's a recent film that came out that tackles this. But you know, before that film people just kind of accepted it and with comic book movies especially batman is a prime example superman there's loads of just iterations like here here's just the same character as you kind of know and we're doing it again and as you say star wars is pretty much the only thing that hasn't done something like that because in it in an alternate universe of what we're living in now they've got star wars 97 so 17 to 7 and that's its own thing it's all those comics that came out at the time and the newspaper strips and all the kind of wackiness with jackson etc that's all there and then Star Wars 2000, they'd have called it. And then it'd be a whole new set. It would either be the, the same characters doing something different, or it would have been more like the sequel trilogy, and it maybe would have been a bit different and weird. But then by now, they'd have just brought out another edition of Luke Skywalker, but they'd have had some new young hip person playing, hip, and they'd have made it a lot more darker. They'd have done like... Zac Efron or something. Probably. <laughs> to be fair, that's the kind of thing. If it was, They would have probably done something like that, and they would have done it like the way the Batman is compared to the Dark Knight and the way the Dark Knight is to uh, the Batman 89 in the Burtonverse, they would have just done that. They would have just rebooted Star Wars. But instead, I think because of the expanded universe, because of people like Timothy Zahn, who wrote the Edge uh, of the Empire trilogy and all the, the comics as well that were coming out and things, I know a lot of people actually, like Kevin Scott, got into Star Wars from the comic first. So when you've got these kind of elements of stuff and people getting into it from there, it's quite, it's quite different. It's one of the only things that apart from the division between canon and legends which apart from the sequel trilogy and then a few Clone Wars things, you can kind of like, because the, like, the Skywalker saga is about 99.9% of the canon. Like before the High Republic came out, it was all Skywalker saga stuff, nothing else. Whereas Legends goes back to like millions of years. It goes back to like the start of the universe and like the origins of the Jedi. And you've got 10 or 10 plus thousand years of Sith and Jedi wars. You've got all these stories and all these things ahead and the new Jedi Order of Luke and etc. You've got this big, massive timeline. And I think that Legends is kind of part of the reason now Disney are doing the canon because they're like, well, everyone liked Legends so much. Let's try and replicate that. And I think they have that's the, the biggest yeah. issue. I think that's mm-hmm. the issue, as you've both said, kind of combining your two ideas, is that Disney and Lucasfilm, although I'm happy we're getting more Star Wars content, I'd rather have all this stuff coming out. I still do genuinely enjoy, but have it so it's not quite there yet. It's not quite perfect. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have that than not have it at all. But it is that thing where they just feel like they're trying to stick to a thing they're trying to oh let's replicate that thing oh people liked that bit let's do that again rather than really taking big risks there's like deadpool in eyes of comic book fans i don't think was much of a risk but from the eyes of the public was a big risk and it hit out of the park logan big risk arguably one of the best films ever made i think let alone superhero related films it is you know and so you've got these films that take big risks and when you do that and it pays off it elevates things but with the Star Wars since the Disney canon, I mean, even like, I think Charles Saul's Vader comics are absolutely phenomenal. Some of the best modern Star Wars. But as I'm getting into more legend stuff, there are some legend things that are better. But equally, I think one of the problems of canon and why the High Republic works quite well on things is that so much of the canon isn't, here's a new story set around the same sort of time. It's, right, here's a story and about 50% of it is actually this other story from a different perspective or there's this character, you know, and it's every book that comes out is like, oh, what was so-and-so doing at this time? What was Leia doing in her teen years? And the books are great. Don't get me wrong that one in particular, but they're all building off movies or existing content. Apart from The High Republic, which has only been out for the last year and a half, 
which is what they're now starting to do with the canon, it's only now they're tr- starting to expand. And I, I think Taika Waititi, his film who, that's coming out in the next few years, I think that's going to be the next Star Wars film we see. I'm hopeful that that film will be the big risk. I'm hopeful that's going to be off the wall, weird. It's going to be more leaning in the comedy, most likely a bit like Thor Ragnarok was for the MCU, but doing its own crazy thing. And that's what I want, Styles of Risks. So, yeah. so can I, I, I realize we haven't really talked that much about the episode, but I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> so I'm going to continue a little bit. So with episode eight of the, the movies, yeah. they, they took a big risk there. It was quite different from regular Star Wars. Got panned. Yeah. So, uh, you know, do, you're saying you want Star Wars to take risks. I, but I, if I was sat in the corporate offices at Disney, I, I, I think due to that reaction, I'd probably be doing the opposite, which is maybe what we're seeing. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, they're, very reactionary. I, I just, they're damned if they do. They're damned if they don't, really, aren't they? If, yeah. if they pander to the uh, people for the nostalgia, uh, then then it's not taking enough risks. If they take risks, then they're not pandering to the people. The the more kind of um, casual fans, you know, the fans who uh, the fans who maybe like the original trilogy and that's it. Don't need any any more content at all, and just seeing that you know this Kenobi shows on. Oh, I'll watch that. So I think we've discussed this before, Mike. Where I don't think there is another franchise like star wars even like the mcu movies that are Mm -hmm. are big in recent years it's not it's still not as big as star wars it's not touched as many lives you've got so many generations you know that that i love whichever trilogy and you know i have obviously uh gone wrong as a parent because my kids prefer the sequel trilogy over the other two so you know (laughs) in a few years there will be people who, who grow up, you know, and, and, and adults and, and actually really like the sequel trilogy, you know, but that's not me. I, I just think it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult nut to crack to satisfy that whole demographic of Star Wars fans. Uh, Dave, to add something just with, on the note of what you were saying, you know, how, how do you work this uh, theorem out? You know, if you're like a mathematician, mathematician sitting down like i need to figure out the ultimate algorithm how to make star wars fans happy and bring them as much revenue as possible and i always felt that you know seeing the progression of filmmaking in general like since ever since i came to the united states and took a much much closer look at what films are as an art form it feels like it's in cycles you know there's there's a a period of stagnation and regardless what the executives behind these tables all the money in the world are thinking what really really drives entertainment is what the audience is willing to eat up kenobi will succeed as far as the fans are willing to eat it up and when that formula is not working anymore they will be forced to become bold and daring again because it's inescapable Art necessitates it. it. It's not people in high towers sitting down and telling us what the next benchmark, the next standard will be. Denis Villeneuve took up the project of trying to direct a film that every major sci-fi filmmaker would stay away from like hot fire. Like we're not directing Dune. It's not possible. You cannot do Dune. It's like it should stay a book. It's so revered, right? And then the first one comes out, and I would love to hear a word or two from you, but 
it literally blew my mind. I was like, I grabbed just like a seat in my theater. I was like, and like just one single breath just absorbed it. I lived in that world for two hours. And I feel that as as I'm always an optimist, as a guy who is very passionate about Star Wars, but is I can very easily move on from something that I, I don't enjoy and focus on things that I like, rather than just be droopy and, and, and dwell on things that I dislike, right? I, I feel that that moment is it's somewhere about, it's near. Star Wars visions has already gave us a glimpse of like, hey, we're actually willing to experiment and, right, and play around. And what if... It took the X-Men film franchise nearly 20 years to deliver uh, Logan, a one-of-a-kind film, a true piece of cinema sold to us as an action roller coaster ride film. What if Star Wars just needs to get there? I I always uh, preach to all of my audience that Star Wars is going through this experimental phase. They're like, oh, they're, they're sort of looking over their shoulder. Like, oh, how would George do it? But he's not with us anymore. But oh, what if they like, you know, Vader and, and the ship and over there? And, and in the mess of it all, which I think is a good thing, it's a good thing to stumble and fall, right? Because why do we fall, Bruce? And then eventually they arrive at it. And it's just a movie will come on its own accord that we all just grab the, you know, our, our seats in theaters and be like completely absorbed by it. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think that's one of the negatives, isn't it, with Disney basically owning everything uh, because they won't typically – I know we got visions and everything, but you would think if, you know, you go back to the old model where, say, Marvel were licensing their characters out to different studios run by different people with different uh, perspectives, agendas – then you're going to get this. You're going to get a wider tapestry of mm-hmm. artistic input, aren't you? Whereas I, I do think it's all kind of narrowed down very much. You know, for the for the MCU, you know, they'll introduce Fantastic Four and X Men and everything, and they, they'll all become very narrow. Dare I say, you know, had Disney acquired Fox many years before, we wouldn't have got Logan. We wouldn't have got Deadpool. You know, but yeah, those movies were massively successful. And so I, I think you're right. It, it will ebb and flow. And, you know, I'd, I'd love the idea. I, I, I'm really looking forward to the Taika Waititi. If he can break out of that mainstream mold, if anyone can break out of that mainstream mold, my, mm-hmm. my money's on him. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think, yeah, let's see. I'd, I'd like to see some some different diverse content. I like the High Republic stuff uh that's that's coming out now you know so not anchored to the skywalker saga um but yeah just i don't know i I still can't help but love it i i just hook it up to my veins just keep giving me content (laughs) mainstream content diverse content fresh ideas i'm here for it i'm the same for me (laughs) one of the things and we'll, we'll rein it back into uh the actual episode uh we won't have, talk about the episode for as long as we spoke about all the other stuff but this should be a soft part dave you need to go on ben's show so you guys can chat about stuff from another perspective i'd love to <laughs> you guys talk about star wars and june etc um but with star wars and things one of the things i love is even when i read okay content it still adds something to the lore like if you watch a crap movie you're like oh, people often feel like unless it's so crap it's fun to talk about People just go out oh, as a kind of waste of time. Whereas for me, at least, and I think other Star Wars fans as well, you go, that wasn't that great. 
But now, in whatever area of Star Wars that's based in, that's just another jigsaw puzzle. You know, it's not something I'm going to revisit. Book of Boba Fett. Cool. Boba Fett gets more story in canon. Fennec Shan's really awesome. That's cool. Am I going to rewatch Book of Boba Fett? Probably not. Am I going to rewatch the episodes with a certain character pops up in it? Spoilers. It's Mandalorian. Probably, because they're... But that's only when I rewatch Mandalorian, which is normally when the next series is coming out and I'll watch a couple of episodes as a kind of build-up. So it's these things where it's just... Yeah, Star Wars for me, even the okay bits still add to stuff that I enjoy. But if we talk about this episode in particular, I won't run through the exact... Like we started to at the start... Um, and there's other characters pop up in here. You know, Hadja comes back, who's cool. I mean, the actor, Mega made a good point in all the stuff he's been in recently is the same character, which is fine. You know, uh, Tala, she's great. She has a good sacrifice. There's sort of elements in there. This this episode I did definitely enjoy. And I think, I still think episode four is probably still the weakest. Uh, I think this one was above that. And I, but I think, I don't know if this one was better than one or two because... I think one or two for me, because it was the start, I was getting the feelings, even though the plot wasn't necessarily moving as quickly and there weren't so many moments in it. I feel like it was like a smooth right up to episode three. Uh, whereas this one, I, I did enjoy. Mainly, I think the sparring elements between the episodes are really cool. I like what they did with uh, Reva. I also realized that Reva, Revenge, Revenge, I, I think that might be maybe a little nod I don't know if I'm not looking. To, I'm doing a Tony in here, but I'm looking too far into things. <laughs> but it's uh, I, I know when I was writing it down, I almost I wrote the pun. Oh, she wanted revenge, and I was like, wait, I wonder if they actually. What if that was <laughs> intentional? Um, but uh, Dave, tell us please what other elements of this episode in general that you either did enjoy or didn't enjoy. Just the story beats uh, about the episode in particular. I I think again uh, going back to what we were talking about before, I think intellectually i i think i appreciate what they're doing you know when we met obi-wan earlier in the season he was he was broken down i said i want this to be rocky three you know his confidence has taken a, a battering uh he needs to get his mojo back he needs to be running down the beach with apollo creed you know he needs to train up for for a fight with obi-wan it hasn't happened like that but you can see that he's almost more he's become more jedi as the series has gone on, you know, he wouldn't help people before in this episode, we're seeing that he's sort of getting his mojo back. He is wanting to help people out. I was disappointed, but I was expecting to be honest that, um, what's the name? Uh, Tala, you know, the way she went out, I was hoping at some point Tala would meet up with Mando, you know, we'd have a whole game of Thrones reunion. Um, <laughs> but no, so, um, again, great part. And, and I think the, you know, her story about, you know, she basically saw and was part of this whole horrible exercise. That was what convinced me I needed to be part of, of this and rebel against the empire. Whereas again, going back to, Obi-Wan, he, he was willing, he just wanted to hide, you know, yeah. he, he was broken, he, you can't fight this beast. And yet there's this, uh, there's this uh, Imperial officer here, Tala, teaching him a lesson. You know, she's not a Jedi, she's just a, a regular person, but she's doing everything that she can. And she's prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice as well to, to help other people. And I thought I, I really enjoyed that aspect of the show. And um, like I say, there, there was definitely the. I, I was geeking out a little bit at the Vader. You know, when when we get the whole face turn with uh, Reva, I thought that 
that was pretty telegraphed. I, I'm pretty sure when we spoke, Mike, you were you were predicting that. Um, but yeah, I I, th- I feel like I should have enjoyed the episode more than I did, yeah. and I'd have to go back and watch it again. I, I'm not sure. Is it kind of the is it the music maybe? Um, is it the way it's shot? I feel like that moment when you realize actually Reva's been playing the long game, you know, and, and she's also she's also been prepared to go to great lengths, you know, essentially become Anakin Skywalker that she's hated so much for doing uh, what he did. But she's kind of done the same thing to get revenge on on Anakin. So I, I thought that was interesting. And that should have hit home a lot more than it did. Mm. Mm. Guys, with your permission, I will dismantle this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you're 18 years old and you go to see Phantom uh, Menace in theaters and you're like, just gawking with anticipation. And the moment that you see a Chancellor Palpatine on screen, you know exactly who he is. And until the end of the credits roll in Revenge of the Sith, there is no surprise to you. Um, this is what, once again, what I see here. I see ideas that are, I, I kind of support. I, I wish they came off stronger, but I feel that Deborah Chow is not the director to bring Star Wars to that level. And let me explain why. From the moment, again, I'm watching this episode on its own merits. I tried to forget my, my previous impression of the show, even though this is one show. I'm like, well, let me just be, as somebody who criticizes stuff on a Star Wars called channel, and I intend to do it professionally, I have to be honest and impartial, obviously opinionated. That's the whole gist of it. But let me see what this episode has to offer. Maybe it will stand out so much, just like that Ahsoka episode in Mandalorian, that I'll just embrace it as a single one-off thing that I appreciate as I'm watching it, uh, the stormtroopers and Reva land on the planet, and there is no detail or forethought in how it's being done. Like you're the Empire, you have, you have the cruiser in orbit. You could scan the entire thing. You you don't cover all exits. It just stand like dummies in front of the front door and try, try to knock. To the point where she tries to uh, convene with, with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in hush-hush tones, kind of like re- relate to him what I saw from 10 miles away, that she's not really in it. Her heart is not in the uh, Inquisitor kind of like dogmas. She's after, you know, uh, Darth Vader there. Okay, no surprise there. To the obligatory Tala death, she might as well have been rocking that red shirt, Star Trek. Those of you guys listening, if you don't know, every time you see an officer on a deck of a a Star Trek ship, he's going. (laughs) You know, if they land on a planet to scout, you know that person is going to die. And, you know, to a show that has surprisingly left any sort of gravitas to me, you know, once again, they throw somebody under the bus, a character that barely had any development. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, we need to kill somebody. Because by the end of the episode, that we see Reva crawling on the sand, like, in, you know, she's not dead yet. I'm like, what is this? Where are you going with this? Why are you trying to hold my attention for 50 minutes when you're not telling me anything? I would argue that if this show never existed, we would have been well off because it doesn't present any new insight into who Vader or Kenobi is because we can surmise all of that. 
That is all off-screen kind of story that we understand before Vader and Kenobi meet in episode four. And that kind of like that space of imagination and creativity, which makes Star Wars great. Don't explain or regurgitate everything to us. And if you're going to do it, it better be Logan good, man. When, because Deborah Chow did the biggest mistake. She's like, oh, but I'm just trying to compare in terms of format. You know, this is what Logan was trying to do with characters. What character exploration? What narrative? What are you talking about? You just have people on screen who are saying things and the plot chugs along. Storytelling is, a, is such an art form. It's such a mastery, craftsmanship. There's so much stuff that goes into it to make a, a character on screen elicit an emotion. And I'm not feeling it. I see tremendous performance from Ewan McGregor. I understand his part, what he's doing. We saw, I loved Hayden Christensen in prequels. I thought he was a charismatic, handsome young man. He channeled a lot of like, tears and aggression and everything. He hit all the right notes that the actor should have to be a great figure, but he wasn't. Why? Because George Lucas. Because George Lucas needed to hire a high-caliber directors to bring that vision to life. Same with Kenobi. You might have had an interesting premise there that, you know, there's things going on in with the main Inquisitor uh, uh, ranks that they're trying to backstab each other and Vader playing the, this long game and he's using them as pawns. You know, the way that she gets her batch as a Grand Inquisitor, once again, completely nullifies her as a person. You wouldn't question that for a bit. What have you accomplished to earn it? Wouldn't you be suspicious? Like, ah, oh, maybe Vader can read into my mind and suspect that I plan to betray and kill him. It's juvenile. It's like, it's once again, we're returning to my comparison to YouTube uh, uh, Star Wars fan videos that you would expect. Like, okay, it's people practicing their filmmaking you know, muscles and they're trying to put together a story. Okay, give them a little bit of benefit of a doubt there. That's how I judge, you know, stuff like this. But this is Disney. They got all the money in the world. And by the time that the episode ends, once again, zero stakes. Because one person that should have sure as hell end up dead, she's, oh, no, but, you know, there's this message. I have to leave. And I'm left with nothing once again. And I'm, I'm scrambling for things to like or enjoy there. Ooh, look, this little nice little piece there. As far as Vader, this is my last comment, guys. Sorry, I went on the rant. As far as Vader being OP, I recognize this is my personal preference. I never liked overpowered Vader or any overpowered Jedi. I like when it's grounded in kind of like the force, we feel it. And then everything is resolved with lightsabers. When they start jumping all over the place and being like Dragon Ball Z uh, power to the 9,000 and beyond, I, I, don't, I really don't care. But there, I kind of acknowledge that, ooh, you know, Star Wars The Force Unleashed fans, Star Wars prequel fans will appreciate and enjoy this stuff. Ben, let it be. It's for someone else. It's not for you. So I can very much kind of separate myself from what I'm seeing on screen and say, well, this and this and this and this doesn't work narratively for whatever the show is trying to do. But this piece, I personally dislike because me, because my bias. That's fair enough. Obviously, that's what this discussion show is about. I, I don't always want people to come on and just be like, yeah, this is amazing. Why? Because Kenobi is awesome. Which, you know, I have, I'm often apologizing for things that Star Wars does. And I'm often, you know, mm -hmm. one of the first to give, try and give an explanation, trying to always be slightly positive. But it is undeniable that there are elements of this show that aren't hitting the notes we would have wanted them to, and they should have done. 
And I didn't really think about it too much. You know, when I watch the episode, I watch it, I'm happy, I'm in the world. And then afterwards, when I normally in these conversations, because I don't listen to anyone else's reviews, I don't look online about anything until I record the episode, then I do this podcast, and then afterwards I, you know, look around and see what other people's opinions are. And one of the things I noticed was that, you know, there was the whole coat thing. And obviously I thought, yeah, that's pretty dumb. But then when you really look into it from the last episode, you're like, that when I watched the episode, I was like he's sticking out like a sore thumb that's pretty how is no one really looking at him and i was like i don't know they should have just said he does some sort of jedi power that makes them like less visible or something which is in uh, like legends a lot just something to kind of make people kind of keep you in their peripherals like a power of that like that'd be a really interesting power to incorporate in the star wars universe and would help when you've got other jedis on the run and trying to hide it could become a thing where it's like and it's in legends so it's not not, not feasible but instead, it was just like, oh, it's just a dude, really shaggy beard in a completely different colored, massive coat with someone walking in front. And you're like, okay. And it's just these little prequel-esque missteps. And in this episode, I found that I was kind of, I wasn't on the edge of my seat in a good way. I was kind of like, oh, this is going to get to a, a crescendo. This is going to get to like a big thing. Then we're going to get the big mm-hmm. Kenobi fight. And you know, I want the lightsabers and crazy fighting and all that sort of stuff, but I want it to be done like it is uh, done in uh, like martial arts movies, like The Raid. Like mm-hmm. I, Rogue One's a good example. Like they don't have it quite as much, but when you have Donnie Yen with his stick, just, when you've got those moments, you're like, that is so cool because you can see it's choreographed. There's not a thousand cuts. It's it's really badass. It's just it flows and it works. The the character of Baze Malbus and. Uh, and uh, Donnie Yen's character, uh, which is uh, Chira Imwe, when you have those two characters in Rogue One, they're two of the strongest because they're so interesting and they've got these, you know, the samurai-esque style, the the mm-hmm. uh, duo of them. But in this, you don't really have that level. You, you've kind of, you've got these little action scenes, which I like, but with the sparring stuff with Anakin, I was like, this is cool, but this just feels like a, is a very it's constantly nodding to the Mustafar battle. I'm like, oh, that's a move. You see that? I was like, this is cool, but this is only this is just a tease for the big Vader battle. There's going to be something new and different and halfway between the exorbitant giant uh, cinematics of the prequel uh, Mustafar battle and the very slow controlled uh, Episode Four battle. It's going to be Vader's going to be slow and stuff because he's kind of fear Kenobi. You know, it's going to work like that. And the way this episode ended, I'm like, are they? Are they? Is this it? Is it just going to be now? obi-wan's gonna fight raver on tatooine like if if it's gonna be on tatooine then vader can't be there so was was that was that the kenobi tricking vader and him being the master and things and it's like was this what the amount of press they did and this is one of the things i give my hat off to miss tonya todd who doesn't watch trailers or interviews or anything like that she didn't get anything spoiled for her and it's like the amount of stuff they waffled on about with Hayden Christensen. And I'm happy he's back. I've been very happy and I've liked what he's been in. But the amount he's been doing press, I was like, this is going to be almost like the Vader show. He's going to be in it front and center or he's not going to be in it till last two and he's just going to be crazy intense. I, I pitched my episode idea last time, which is I want a Kenobi to do something with the force to dismantle Vader's suit and that's him beating him in a clever way that's different to what we've seen before. He, the lines will still work. It'll be visually stunning. Anyone likes action would be so cool. It will work in so many levels. And if this is it, this is like, oh, he tricked him with a decoy ship. And you're like, that's that's the big battle the whole of press has been talking about for the last year and a half. The the crazy battle is Kenobi getting wrecked, being put in fire, which I thought was a very cool scene. But then him just kind of running away from Vader and kind of tricking him a little bit. It mm-hmm. was like almost cartoonish. 
in some elements now that I'm thinking about it a lot more. I still enjoy the episode, but I'm like, oh, it's going to be Kenobi against Reva on Tatooine. What do you think, Dave? I think I think it was a good fake out for me. Yeah, you know, because again, I I think I'm thinking of that first Charles Soul run in the comics. Again, when you see just how powerful he is, he, he goes up against that one Jedi who's been training all his life to fight, and yeah. you know, he, uh, part of the run, you know, you think Vader's decimated, but just through sheer force of will, you know, he overcomes this guy and and ends up you know putting other people in danger you know he found a way uh to win out there and i guess when when he's bringing that ship down you you saw an equivalent kind of power that that you have in the comics and then when he rips you know part of the hull out i was genuinely thinking oh shit how how are they going to get out of this and then it, it was like you say it was a roadrunner type thing, wasn't it? It was like, ah, we're in this other ship. <laughs> so yeah, they they kind of did me there. But that moment when he rips the hole out, that's yeah. when I thought uh, it got me a little bit there. I agree. I think I, I'm kind of with Ben though. At, at the end, it felt to me it it went on for a few minutes after, you know, when Reva gets kind of stabbed and and there's a whole mirroring of when she was a Padawan and got. Uh, stabbed as well and you know the Grand Inquisitors just literally said you know it's amazing what a sheer force of will uh, or what what was the words anger can keep you going or something yeah so revenge, why leave I her alive why not for re- revenge I think it was desire for revenge so why stab her through the stomach that makes no sense why don't you count Dooku her you know take the head <laughs> off if you're gonna kill her kill her and then you know seeing the whole way they got away i feel like the penultimate episode should have left us feeling like oh crap you know what what is going to happen next but then it had me more puzzled thinking well are they all going to go to tatooine now how are they going to wrap this up and and so it just the way it ended did leave me a little bit flat and you know of all the people to find this incriminating bit of evidence you know so um that puts Bail Organa in, in quite a bit of trouble there, giving away the whole bloody Skywalker secret. Uh, you know, again, it's just it's, uh, convenient doesn't even come close to it, does it? You know, it's just ridiculous. But I'm just wondering, is is this, is Reva going to survive now? Is she going to send a, a, a message? Is she going to be redeemed or or whatever? So, so for me, after the whole Vader ripping out the hole, from that point, the episode just got worse and worse for for me. Yeah, and I will say with the Vader, but when he was doing that with the ship, I was like, "This is incredible!" I was like, "Yes, like Vader power." I want to see Dragon Ball Z style power. I love Force Unleashed. Want my tattoos off? I love that shit. But I, I still want to be within reason. You can't have a Sith Lord like Nihilus unless when we go back, you have to be. It has to be within eras. You know, Palpatine was the most powerful Force user at the time. Yoda was the strongest Jedi. There, the, the in the Skywalker saga, that's the ceilings. When we go back to the Old Republic, you know, it, when canon eventually goes to that point, the, hopefully the ceilings will be raised and there'll be more crazy stuff that can happen because it will work in a certain way. But with Vader holding the ship, I love that because I really like it because um, you've got a Ray do something similar to that in the sequel trilogy. And you've got, I like it when you've got someone trying to use the force to hold a ship back. It's just a level of power that's just incomprehensible. And you're like, oh man, Vader is. And he destroys it and grows it down. And I was like, this is going to be like 
a very brutal ending and then obi-wan's gonna have to fight him and then beat him or something or and then it was like oh no it's a fake out and i was like okay well okay and then as you guys both said it's like the raver stuff and you're like i'm just minor spoiler for Star Wars rebels there is a interaction that happens in the episode called twin sons with one of my other favorite characters and they fight obi-wan and and it's i'm spoiling it now spoiling it now but please watch rebels still it's maul they fight it's an incredible battle but the end of the day is that obi-wan has to fight maul and stop him from finding out about luke and maul when he twigs it you see it in obi-wan's eyes like oh what have you done i can't let you leave with i think it's gonna just basically be that because everyone's like oh my god i want maul to be in kenobi and everyone else who's seen clone wars rebels like you can't put him in you can't it won't make any sense at all it literally will you know all people waffling on about breaking the canon it literally will you can't have that so it's like what we're we gonna do instead well let's just let's just have raver there a reaver there let's just have her there and then her find out about luke and then obi-wan has to kill her and it's like when we discussed it i think prior um in the other episodes of discussion episodes i was like oh that would make some sense to a degree but it feels like they finished her story and now they're like, oh no, actually, let's let's add it. It's like down. It's almost like a downloadable content for a video game. It's like you thought this character was dead. Well, the Reva DLCs come out, and you're like, but I didn't want that. But this is the finale, and you're like, but I want a Vader. You, you you've been going on about the Vader battle for so long, and we finally are like, oh, episode three is just a little tease. Let's get there, boys. And then it's like, oh no, it might just be Reva. It's like, but you just killed her, kind of. Like, what do you want? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's a uh, perfect description. I think I've said it in my earlier video review as I posted it on YouTube. The entire episode felt like a video game cutscene. Uh, you know, it seems like I have a, a, a completely warped uh, understanding of what character and character growth means in the story. Like having people on screen talking and reveal information does not necessarily equate to good or character development at all. Sometimes you just have a plot. You just can't just show up. It's like, oh, by the way, but, you know, Vader did this, but I survived that, and now I'm going to revenge, you know. You know, it's, it's it's vastly two different things. So with this episode, is just the rest of the show is telling me that, like, hey, Ben, if you were expecting to see anything new, I'm not showing it to you. Because anything that resembled character interaction, kind of like motivation, what's happening there, that felt like, oh, I'm watching something. I'm in this world was with Lars Owens and Kenobi. By the way, Reva being present there as well. That moment of yeah. tension definitely was, was good there, came through. And this is what I wanted there. I think maybe I don't belong with Star Wars fandom anymore because what I'm honestly looking for, it's not TIE fighters versus X Wings and glowing lightsaber sticks and a dude in a black armor. I'm looking for good stories. I don't care if the dude is dressed up like a, a starter, a, a space marine from Warhammer 40K, and he's just wrecking shit. It doesn't matter to me. You know, when I read uh, Dave Abnett's uh, uh, Warhammer 40K uh, novel last year, because somebody recommended, I actually wanted to get into that franchise for a very, very long time, because people were saying it's a lot like Star Wars. You like it. It has the gravitas, you know, the dark, gritty world that Star Wars doesn't give you. You only get a glimpse of it with Rogue One. And I read my first novel, the first and only. And that particular novel, the reason I'm making a comparison to Kenobi is that a person told me that, Ben, if you really want to understand the power of these space marines, 
First, read the novel of regular human beings and how they perceive that world and how they channel it, how, how characters in that novel respond to the environment around them. And that's what gives those, those space marines the great feeling. It's not their armor. It's not those five-minute YouTube videos that look raw as hell. It's the story. It's, it's the actual, like, mm, the oomph in there, what, what attracts you to, to those characters. And this is what it's, it's lacking in Kenobi. Like, you see cool things on screen. Even, even when we get to Vader, like you mentioned, you like your action sequences to be memorable and done like a, a marsh good uh, filmed uh, kung fu martial art movies where you see an actor perform, you know, moves for like 60 seconds or a minute and only then you cut. With Vader, literally everything that he does to Reva feels like a video game. It's like literally Deborah Chow saying, ooh, I think this will be cool. Yeah, he should not like not take out his lightsaber and just overpower her with his, you know, force powers first. But then that's not enough. I think that's not going to look good enough for an episode. Then he needs to take out his lightsaber. Like every single micro decision that goes into this episode and the rest of the show, it feels like, once again, a person who is playing around with this toolkit. It's like, oh, what if I put this here? It doesn't give me an impression that it's a serious filmmaker who understands what they're doing. Interesting point there. Yeah, it's it. It is not landing how I want it to land. I I liked the Vader. I did like the Vader Rev fight to a degree, but I did feel it it felt a bit clunky at times, and it was not. It wasn't enough of what of anything really. That's what I was kind of. I was like either lean. It fully, wasn't memorable. Yeah, it's either full lead fully into the Vader being so overpowered, which we know he is because he literally lift her up and just be like her run at him and him just swat her away, and then him and him just like crush her, like do an actual thing where he's just unstoppable not this thing where he's kind of like toying with her because it's like yeah. is he doing it because he's bored but is that why that's how i would view it but it's kind of like but you've not really alluded to that in the story what what reason are you doing that it would have almost for me made more sense for the grand inquisitor to come in and him say prove to me which one of you is better and then they could have had a full-on like she could have he could have played with Raver a little bit and just kind of knocked her aside and stuff and been like you're both pathetic you two fight vader is practical if nothing else he's very economical he's a minimal character he doesn't say a lot of things on screen as far as the original trilogy goes and his sheer presence and force of will is what 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 drives the character and you stand there oh my god what is going through his mind what he's gonna do he's unpredictable and here, when, once again, he feels like a fighting game, video game character. He's like, I have this move. Now I have that move. Now I'm going to just, I collected my super meter and I'm just going to do a super Haruken on you. What do you think, Dave? This will be the, sort of the last points before we wrap up. Uh, but what do you think of the Vader reverb sort of part specifically? If I think of like a, a great lightsaber duel, I, I think of Kenobi and Darth Maul. You know, that that was a, a great fight for me. Uh, and I remember seeing it at the time. It was just like, holy shit. You know, they, even though I don't like Phantom Menace as a, as a whole movie, that, that mm-hmm. was amazing. This did feel off. And it, it felt out of character as well. You know, uh, Ben's used the term practical there. You know, he's just, for me, he's got low tolerance. <laughs> you know, he doesn't suffer fools <laughs> gladly. He's not going to play around like a cat with a mouse or something and just show off, you know, look how strong I am with the force. And, and you know, it, it went on for way too long. You know, you'd have thought if that was Vader that we've seen in the past, you know, it's just force choke. You know, like like he did in episode three with one of the townspeople. 
it, it just seemed very, very weird. And like you say, a whole stab in the stomach. Well, that's a bit weird. You know, why, why are you doing this? And she's clearly not dead. It's almost like James Bond levels, isn't it? It's like, I'm pretty sure you're going to die now. I'm just going to leave you here. I'm not actually going to witness you die. I'm going to leave you. <laughs> you know, it, it just, it, it did feel very off. And, and like I say, just not sound like a broken record, but after Vader ripped off the hole, the episode mm-hmm. just got really weird for me. And, and the only other minor point I was going to make was, I, th- I think I'd mentioned about the DA gym with Hayden Christensen, and obviously they didn't spend any money there. But also, get some more stormtroopers. You know, they're trying to show when they're lining up outside, you know, and they're trying to get in for Kenobi and, and all the other people who are running away from the Empire. But there must have been like, 20 30 stormtroopers or something they weren't really showing the might of the empire you know i just felt it looked like there was hardly any of them there and it it wasn't really showing that force Mm. and i can only think that was a budget thing as well um that they just didn't have the the bodies to actually line up but you know i wanted to see legions of stormtroopers you know i wanted it to be oh shit if they break through the door you know they're done for and and i think just for execution it it just didn't visually Mm. say that maybe it was because of maybe it was budget maybe it was because they unfortunately decided they needed to have some sort of big shootout and if you have legions of stormtroopers that are realistic in the story the the not rebels but really are rebels the path people they would get so unfathomably overwhelmed and obi-wan would just get killed immediately so they had to rein back in the amount to make that scene work which isn't how you should write stories it should be mm. what makes sense and what's the story i want to tell you know yeah. or they just do a line where they just you know even if it was just something like this is vader's private squadron or something but then again they didn't fight mm. any they didn't seem very elite so once again it's that kind of thing they where it's like stormtroopers yeah but you, there's those couple of those black ones that seem to do okay in it the black armored ones and it was like you know in fallen order they're purge troopers <laughs> and they're lots, but they were just like oh they're just kind of captains at the front it's like right but we know stormtrooper captains have got like a yellowish mm. thing sticking out so no they're different ones for what jedi catching it doesn't really matter because they're dead okay you they- just reminded me actually and I, I forgot i said it was gonna be my last point this is definitely gonna be my last point but i know you know the whole thing with stormtroopers not being able to you know not being very accurate and whatever making alec guinness's claims in the first movie ridiculous but literally the rebels they weren't hiding behind anything no. to shoot. They were literally stood in the middle of the room, shooting at all this this a whole bunch of stormtroopers coming through. And I just felt like it looked ridiculous because they were just literally stood there shooting away. And I, I was like, "Come on! Even if a stormtrooper is not that accurate, you're dead within a few seconds." You know the amount of stormtroopers that are firing into that cave. Yeah, absolutely dead. And I'd forgotten about it until we were just talking then. But yeah, I, I thought that bit was particularly bad. Also, when they got in, when you got the fake out bit with Vader appearing, Megan was like, why are all those people waiting to not get on those ships? Yeah. He was like, oh, oh no, they've broken through. Let's all run onto those ships. It's like, but you, the only plan you had was to escape on those ships. So why are it's you like, anywhere like else? when you were back at school when the bell goes and the teacher says, don't run you know yeah it'd be panic wouldn't it they they would be running they're in hiding from the empire yeah they'd be running desperately for their lives so yeah i agree with that as well 
Cool. Well, Ben, sort of final points, and then we'll get ourselves to plug where people can find us on social media. I know that you're you've got your own uh, uh, show as well, where you've spoken about your thoughts on Kenobi, and also your appear on I think the Gavin Gonks as well. So people can listen to your opinion three times, which is amazing in different ways. Uh, but please tell us a sort of a final wrap up thing of any thoughts you want to add before we uh, start talking about our other stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I'm not a new wars for where you know after the show is done like i I don't care for it it's Mm -hmm. it once again it's fully predictable it's what i expected from the show and big deal it's just a tiny bit of frustration it's like hey when will we finally get there because i said before the show aired that i will judge it by a whole different metric than i did with previous show because a lot of rides on this one because it has to satisfy prequel fans myself as well myself as well because it's tapping into that original trilogy kind of like a lore but I didn't expect the show to be anything spectacular based on what Deborah's child's what resume. Like I hadn't seen any of her work and her Mandalorian episode was just okay. So I don't think the show will improve at all with the final episode, regardless what's in it. I just honestly feel they did not have a, a very good idea there. I think it was done for the sake of just bringing these characters back on screen giving Elon McGregor the chance to act again alongside with Hayden Christensen. But um, everything I feel that endures the test of time is first driven by a desire to tell a powerful, meaningful story. But an example I want to bring is the duel in the Return of the Jedi between Vader and Luke Skywalker. Yeah. There is an action sequence that is obviously flashy for its time, very well directed, very clear, vivid action. Visually, to this day, it's still spectacular and iconic. It could maybe kind of sort of say, well, maybe the choreography could have been a little bit more fleshed out. But it's infinitely more compelling than anything we've seen in Star Wars sequels or any live action shows because every bit of frame in that duel informs the story. Every bit of, like, I dare you, go back and watch that scene. Everything that you see speaks to who Luke Skywalker is in that moment. It speaks to who Vader is. It shows you, demonstrates vividly their conflict of interests and how Vader is slowly returning, resurrecting as Anakin Skywalker. Everything is so immaculately done. And today, you know, when I look at it as a 40-year-old who enjoys my new movies on par with old movies, you kind of feel like, Returning to what David said, like, it's so simple. Why can't we have this again, right? It's so simple. But then again, maybe it's not Disney's fault. Maybe it's the filmmaking in general in that gestative kind of like low point that it is at right now, where nobody aspires above anything else than just visual eye candy. And, you know, as a hopeful fan, I'm remained with my hope with my like looking forward to what things to come and i say well okay kenobi show didn't do it for me next i'm putting it in pile with the pile with mandalorian with everything everything else i'm glad it exists i'm glad i checked it out i celebrate the fact there's an army of kids who will rally behind the show 20 years from now and say this is the greatest stuff ever because nothing will substitute how you feel about things whether it's good art or not good art it means something special for kids. That's enough for me. But in the future, I would like to see a Star Wars project where they don't rely on nostalgia. They don't rely on fan expectations and be in a true spirit of George Lucas, where you know you observe the current 
And you say, this is where Hollywood and cinema, but all of these executives are going. And I'm going to swim against the current. I'm going to be bold and daring. I'm going to give you a piece of Star Wars cinema, which you haven't seen before, because it's going to ride or die on the strength of its story and not a spectacle. Hmm. Very well put. And I will say, um, well, I'll let you both uh, plug your social media and then we'll hang this call up. But I will say, one thing I found out the other day is that the Andor series, there's going to be quite a lot of episodes per season. It's there's no, They were going to have five seasons. Now they're going to have three. But mm. I think there's like 12 episodes per season. And I think they're going to be longer as well. And because I think the person who uh, directed or helped write had some huge involvement in Rogue One, he's going to be involved in the Andor series as well. I'm wondering, my hope is, combining some of the criticisms we both had, um, is you know where Dave said about the long form of Clone Wars things like that maybe with more it all like more uh, episodes maybe then we'll get into it more but once again it's a prequel show so it's going to be like we kind of know what happens but it's got the ability to be more adult and darker and more different like Rogue One we'll see I'm I'm, I'm more optimistic for Andor but I'm still thinking yeah it's going to be maybe the Ahsoka show will be what I want to hit all the high notes because that's going to be a character we don't know what happens to Ahsoka we don't know where that's going this whole build up to the soft reboot of the Air to the Empire stuff with Thrawn and the Mandoverse they're calling it that's going to be it's going to become the new Thrawn trilogy in essence when all that kind of happens I'm intrigued hopefully these are just the teething parts you know that's what I'm hoping um, but thank you both so much for coming on the show it's been delightful speaking with you uh, so if we go with Dave where can people find you uh, on social media what are you up to uh, where stuff well as well as Comics in Motion appear on uh, as many shows as I can on that um, <laughs> including this one uh, I'm actually going to be recording tomorrow a movie uh, for the VHS Strikes Back pod- podcast is going to be a movie that was one of these Star Wars knockoffs. So oh. after the 77 movie, you got all these different knockoffs that came out. And this is a Richard Corman knockoff uh, of the highest order. It actually had a budget of about $2 million. So for, for wow. Richard Corman, uh, uh, for Corman, it, you know, it's, it's quite a lot there. It's called Battle Beyond the Stars. Now, my co-host, Chris, absolutely hates sci-fi. And uh, I figure to watch a low-budget Star Wars knockoff is uh, something I, I'm just going to relish putting him through. So, uh, and, it, and it is quite amusing, actually. I mean, it's Star Wars 101. Um, if you've never seen it, I, I would recommend it. Perfect. And Ben, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Star Wars Timeline on YouTube, uh, where Mike will show up most certainly because I love speaking to you, my friend. Thanks again for having me. And uh, on Twitter, I am SWT underscore channel, Star Wars channel, where you can find me tweeting just random things that I like. And we also have a Star Wars group on Facebook called Star Wars Timeline, where everybody can join in and just share your thoughts and be say things that you like, things, things that you dislike. We, we want to have a relationship between one another where we can say positive things or say critique in a manner that doesn't offend anyone. It's like you can be mature and adult about things and just speak your mind freely. Nobody will censor you. But once again, just wanted to say thank you for having me, Mike. I, Dave, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Subbed to your Twitter account right away. <laughs> uh, we've shared quite a lot of different things between us three. And this is why I think fandom is at its best where we say, well, I come from this angle and you come from this angle and we get to celebrate and enjoy it all. And you know what? More Star Wars is better than no Star Wars because we were when we were less privileged than in the 80s and even 90s when we didn't think we would get any more Star Wars, now we have this whole 
kids store, like toy store that we get to play around with. It's a wonderful thing. Completely. It's it's amazing. I'm so I'm still so happy. For me, even the worst Star Wars content that's come out since Disney has been okay. I don't think much of it. There've been problems with stuff like the Book of Boba Fett had a few issues and even Kenobi has had some and even Clone Wars. You know, I think the Clone Wars movie is not good, but I still would don't think it's like actively atrocious. I'm just like, eh, it's it's okay, I guess. But that, that you know, is one where I will disagree. That is horrendous. horrendous. It should never be that should be sent to Alderaan, blown up by a Death Star. <laughs> that, that is horrendous. But it's not for me. That's the no. thing. You know, for yeah. for it's obviously for younger kids, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. But, um, it is. I do tell people, if you're going to watch the Clone Wars, if after listening to this conversation, I'd say people just watch Star Wars Rebels. You don't have to watch Clone Wars. Watch Star Wars Rebels, people. Go and do it. Talking to you, Glyn, who says that you don't watch animated stuff very much. <laughs> watch Star Wars Rebels. It's amazing. Series 1's really good, but Series 2 onwards is phenomenal. And then some people you know, can try then Clone Wars after that. But if you're going to try Clone Wars, skip the movie, skip all of series one bar episode five, uh, and then also called Rookies, I think, and then the Lair of Grievous episode, and then the last like four or five episodes, the Ryloth arc. Ignore the rest of series one, you know, have to watch it and also ignore the movie. It's it only introduced as Ahsoka. But you can find me at Genuine Chit Chat on social media. That is Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. Uh, you get photos of the comic books that I've been tackling on Star Wars Comics and Canon. And last week, and will be the next episode, is the first Star Wars Canon magazine manga that is not an adaptation of something else so there's been a bit of star wars manga that's adaptation to certain books and whatnot but it's called edge of balance and it is uh, really really interesting reading some star wars manga so it kind of ties in nicely with visions in a way that we're kind of star wars already had a huge amount of eastern influence but it's nice to see oh god hitting my mic it's nice to have it kind of reverse where star wars entering uh, that sort of medium in that way um so that's what i'm tackling at the moment and uh, you never have to read a single single star wars comic in your life to listen to star wars comics in canon uh, and also make sure you subscribe to genuine chit chat on youtube everything's in playlists so if you're trying to work out if you only want to listen to everything about vader i've ever done playlists for that war of the bounty hunters crossovers high republic all that sort of stuff i've almost tackled 100 of high republic content and check out genuine chit chat I've had conversations with Kevin Scott, Claudia Gray, and other people involved with Star Wars, and also Dave and also Ben have both been on different episodes as well. And also, I obviously appear on lots of other shows. And also, make sure if you're listening on the feed of Comics in Motion on your podcast app that you check out the Ms. Marvel discussion show, which is uh, Rhea is the host of that, and I believe, with Miss Tonya Todd. Uh, so, Comics in Motion, we're doing loads of stuff all the time. You know, every single week, there's at least two episodes, often four, five, six episodes getting released weekly. Uh, so, please, if you're listening on YouTube, Go over to a podcast player of your choice, find Comics in Motion. And if you're listening on a podcast app, you're already there. Subscribe, check things out. But thank you so much for joining me, uh, Ben and Dave. It's always a delight speaking with either of you and having you both on. So much fun. Thank you, sir. Thank you. (laughs) And may the force be with you both. And with you.